Well, friends, please stand for the reading of God's Word as we continue the new series we embarked on a couple weeks ago as we switch gears and place special focus and attention and emphasis on the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we find ourselves in what will be no doubt a, a familiar passage to many here. Every couple years we place special focus on Isaiah Seven, because when it all is said and done, this is one of the most important Old Testament Christmas Advent passages anywhere in the Old Testament. Let's give special attention to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ahaz is king in Judah. He's sitting on David's throne in Jerusalem. It's about 734 B.C. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he, this is referring to Isaiah now. Isaiah is there, the great prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. And the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. He will bring on you the king of Assyria. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Okay, this week I was reading an article speculating on how winter might impact the war in Ukraine. Many um, experts think that when winter sets in, perhaps it could give rise to a lull in the hostilities. We certainly hope and pray that's the case. Other experts don't think it will change anything about what's going on in Ukraine right now. Ukrainians, though, for their part, they're not so much hoping for winter. Their hope lay elsewhere. Do you have any idea where their hope now rests most of all? They are petitioning a certain body desperately, frequently, fervently to let them in. Do you know what that body is called? That body is called NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, an organization that was started in 1949 after World War II to deal with a growing, looming threat in Europe. Remember, 1949, the context of that was the disaster of Hitler's Nazi invasion over Europe. Well, in 1949, another power was rising that seemed nefarious and difficult and deadly. Who was that? The Soviet Union. 
1949, an organization came into being with about 30 nations that came together to try to stand together to deal with this looming threat. 30 nations that were bound together through mutual defense. At the core of the compact between these 30 nations is a mutual defense commitment. Their motto or the doctrine that holds the NATO nations together is this simple. To attack one is to do what? To attack all. Ukraine, for obvious reasons, wants more than just weapons. They want to be a part of NATO so that the entire NATO community would form an alliance with them and physically help them with men and things like that, with armies and tanks and all the rest. You know, there's probably never been a more important time in the history of our world to maintain and establish good alliances. The necessity of a good alliance has almost always been the case. Nations throughout the history of our world have survived through strategic, thoughtful, well-crafted, sought-after alliances. There's only one nation in the history of the world that has not needed such an alliance. And it's the Israel of God, the Israel of Old Testament. The Israel of the Old Testament had a very unique alliance, okay? They had an alliance of one. They had an alliance with Yahweh God Almighty. In fact, God in the Old Testament specifically instructed Israel not to seek out or engage in an alliance with anyone else. The Lord did not want Israel to slowly be lulled into the worship of these other nations. The Lord said to Israel, I am your alliance. I am your defense. I'm your surety. I'm your defender. I'm your redeemer. If you're threatened, if you're concerned, trust in me and I will deliver you. You don't need alliances from Egypt or anyone else. Trust in me. Well, that alliance is going to be tested in our passage this morning like it has never been tested before. I've included a little map in your bulletin for your consideration. As we've said before, maps can be very helpful. Who doesn't love a good map? It is absolutely essential that you direct your attention to the map right now so that we can get oriented so that you can appreciate the situation that Ahaz, king in Jerusalem, is facing. Perhaps you will um, identify with him a little bit. Perhaps you'll relate to his predicament a little bit as you have it explained to you. So looking at the map, the very center of the map, you'll see like a designation for the Euphrates River. Um, and just above that, to the north of that, you'll see the nation of Assyria. Hopefully you can orient yourself. Look at the nation of Assyria. It's really the empire of Assyria. And everything in green was the focus of the Assyrians. In 734 BC, Assyria was perhaps the greatest power the world had ever seen. And so as today we might look at China or Russia as being very destabilizing 
influences in our world, I think we can agree. There's all kinds of concerns about what China will do or won't do, what Russia will do or won't do. Multiply that by 100. And that's what you have with Assyria. Assyria had the greatest army the world had ever seen. They were ambitious. They were aggressive. They were cruel in their expansionist policies. Look at the little arrows that are emanating from Assyria, from Nineveh. The Assyrians, they went north. They went southeast. They went west. They went southwest. They had designs on what we now know or what we understand as the promised land. Orient yourself at the map, look at the Mediterranean Sea, look at Syria, and then to the south of Syria, you'll see Israel, you'll see Jerusalem there. Jerusalem is in the northern part of Judah. Here's the situation. So we've just talked about NATO, the North American Treaty Organization. Back at this time, two nations were trying to start what I might call the ANITO, Ancient Near Eastern Treaty okay, Organization. Because Syria, if you look at your map, Syria and Israel, I know this is confusing, but the people of God are divided into two nations now, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Israel and Syria are concerned about the growing threat in Assyria. Syria and Israel are concerned about the growing threat of Assyria. You can see for good reason on the map. Assyria felt it was their manifest destiny, if you will, to borrow a modern term, to expand in all directions. Soon their focus and gaze would be on Jerusalem and Judah and Israel and Syria. And so Syria and Israel thought, okay, if we can get Judah and the south to join us in a three-nation coalition, perhaps we'll survive when Assyria comes south. When they march on this territory, if we have three nations together, perhaps we will be strong enough to hold off the Assyrians. And so they're, so Syria and Israel, there'll be a quiz later, by the way, I'll just, just make sure these are a lot of different names, different countries. Syria and Israel, we're not gonna take no for an answer. Syria and Israel were marching on Judah. Syria and Israel were threatening Ahaz and Jerusalem, saying, if you don't join our coalition, we're going to conquer you, depose you, and put our own king on David's throne in Jerusalem, and we'll do terrible things to you. So you better join us. Does that sound like a difficult situation? You have the looming threat of Assyria off to the north and west. You have two hostile nations to your north, Syria and Israel who are threatening you, pressuring you, join us, help us, now's the time. I didn't read the whole text, but the text said that Ahaz's, his knees were knocking and shaking like trees shake in the wind. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to respond. It was into this incredibly difficult situation that God Almighty sent perhaps the greatest prophet of them all, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah arrives and meets Ahaz the king. And Isaiah tells Ahaz the king, don't do anything. This is similar to what we heard last week. Trust in me. 
I'll deliver you. I'll deal with these two nations to your north. I'll deal with every problem you have. Trust in me. Believe in me. I will get you out of this. Okay? So look at your map. That is the situation. That's the concern. That's the situation into which God sent Isaiah the prophet. And then he did something. The Lord did something for Ahaz that I think we can all appreciate and we wish would happen to us. Look with me at verses 10 and 11. Isaiah comes on the scene. He encourages Ahaz to trust in him. The Lord says, trust in me. Don't trust in these other nations. Trust in me. I'll redeem you. I'll save you. And then the Lord promises to do something for Ahaz that we've talked about before that I wish he would have done to me or for me at various parts of my life. God through Isaiah promises to give Ahaz a sign. We've talked about this before. Have you not wished for that before? In a difficult situation, a new job, a new city, a difficult situation, you want to know what to do. Lord, just give me a sign. Give me a sign. Should I take this job or that job, go to this city or that city? How should I respond to my child? Do you love me? Would you give me a sign that you love me, that you're here for me? Lord, give me a sign. The Lord offers to do that very thing for Ahaz. And he says to Ahaz, this is mind-boggling, he says, Ahaz, you name it. The sky's the limit. Test me, Ahaz. Test me. I'll come through for you. I'll prove to you that I'm capable of rescuing you. Look with me at verses 10 and 11. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. The Lord is being so gracious, the God of Israel. Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. You name it, I'll do it. I'm with you. I'll rescue you. Long story short, Ahaz has a choice. Will he trust the word of God through the great prophet Isaiah? Will he trust the word of God that God will rescue him, that he doesn't have to lift a finger? that he can wait on the Lord? Will he do that? Or will he trust in his own wisdom and say yes to these two nations to his north that want him to join the coalition? If you were Ahaz, what would you do? You see two armies surrounding your city. You know it's a matter of time. They're going to starve you out. They're going to do terrible things to you. They're going to replace you. It seems to be an inevitability that this coalition, coalition will come together. Are you going to trust in them? Or are you going to trust in the Lord? What would you do? Well, in this moment, Ahaz had an epiphany. Ahaz, you know, like the new, the new I guess the new thing is like, hey, there's always a third solution, you know what I mean? It's not A or B. Hey, we'll think of a third solution. Ahaz is ahead of his time. Ahaz thinks of a third solution that seems ingenious. Do you remember what he did? Ahaz was not going to look to the Lord for help. Ahaz wasn't going to look to the two-nation coalition for help. Who is Ahaz going to look to for help and deliverance? The king of Assyria. Think of the great irony here. The very nation that's causing all of the instability and all of the trouble, Ahaz is going to reach out 
to Tiglath Pileser, the king of Assyria. That's who he's going to look to to be his deliverer. And so Ahaz, believe it or not, shocking, rejects the sign. Look with me at verse 12. Ahaz in false piety, false religiosity. Look at what Ahaz says to Isaiah of all people. Ahaz says to Isaiah, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. It's not a sin to put the Lord to the test if the Lord says, put me to the test. It's not a sin to ask for a sign if the Lord said, ask for a sign. Let me prove myself. Ahaz had already made up his mind. It seemed wise to him. It seemed best to him to reach out to the most powerful force in the world to be his deliverer. Amazing. Friends, that's the context of Christmas. Did you know that? That is the context of Advent. Because when Ahaz refuses the sign, when Ahaz begins negotiations with Assyria, God responds with one of the most beautiful, wonderful prophecies the people of God have ever heard in Isaiah 7.14. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. This is how the Lord responds to Ahaz's rejection. We're going to see that it has an aspect of judgment to it, and we're going to see that it has an aspect of great hope with, to it. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. Isaiah says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men? You know, you're hard enough on your own people. Are you going to weary my God also? Then, Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This was a prophetic judgment on Ahaz. How is that the case, do you think? Don't we look to this prophecy as our hope, as our joy? For Ahaz, it was judgment. Why? Because the Lord said to Ahaz, oh, I'm going to rescue my people. I'm going to rescue my house for David's sake, but it's not going to benefit you, Ahaz. I'm going to do something that's going to rescue my people once and for all, but it's going to be 700 years in the future. The Lord basically says to Ahaz, okay, you want Assyria to help you? I'm going to bring Assyria to help you. The very thing that Ahaz looked to other than the Lord was the very thing that utterly destroyed the southern kingdom. We know biblically and historically, Ahaz reaches out to Assyria. Assyria sweeps down like a river, takes care of Syria, takes care of Israel. What do you think Assyria did to Judah after that? Assyria destroyed Judah subjected Judah to vassal status. Judah experienced a time of deprivation and poverty like they had never experienced. What's the lesson here? Whatever you hope in, whatever you trust in, other than God's provision for you in Christ, sadly, that very thing 
will be your demise. 700 years after the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14, in Bethlehem, the city of David, God gave a Savior. Amazing. Incredible. Friends, what are you trusting in today? You know, oftentimes, you know, as we age, we trust in our health. A day is coming when our health will go south. A day is coming when we will not be healthy anymore. A lot of people, obviously, we trust in our bank account, our wealth, our resources, the fact that our house is paid off, our reputation, our background, our family, our longevity. A day is coming when all of those things will be gone. We need something more foundational than that. That's the question of Isaiah 7. Who or what are you trusting in? For Ahaz, this prophecy, it seemed ridiculous. It seemed absurd. People in 734 BC, they understood where babies came from. They understood that virgins don't give birth to a son. It seemed crazy. Ahaz moved on down the road. Ahaz trusted in Assyria. Beloved, 2,000 years ago, in the city of Bethlehem, a Savior was born named Christ the Lord, and he would be called what? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean, literally? Moses means out of water. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. What did God promise Abraham when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees to a land he did not know? What did God say to Abraham that would galvanize him and encourage him? He said, I will be with you. I'll be with you wherever you go. What did God promise Moses when he told Moses to do the impossible? Go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. How did God encourage Moses? He said, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. What about David as the youngest in his household who was chosen to be king over Israel? Can you imagine how overwhelmed he felt? How over his head he felt? The king of Israel, I'm a shepherd boy. What did God say to David? I will be with you. You're not competent. You're not up to the task. I will be with you. What did God say to Joseph and Mary 2,000 years ago at the beginning of the first century in a nowhere place? He said to Joseph and Mary, not I will be with you. What did he say? I am with you. I am with you in a way that you can't possibly fathom. Of all the promises that the Jews were aware of, no one anticipated that Yahweh God Almighty, you know what that names mean, I am that I am. I am self-sufficient. I am in not need of anyone. Or any. Yahweh God Almighty. yod heh He came in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Isaiah 7, 14. A virgin will give birth to a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. 
Beloved, it's the single greatest event in the history of the world. God Almighty became flesh and blood through the precious Lord Jesus. If you're like me, you want a sign that he loves you. The message today, trust in that sign. 700 years in the future for Ahaz, 2,000 years ago for us. It's as relevant today as it's ever been. Our only hope when all is said and done is God's provision for us in Emmanuel. John mentioned it in his prayer. I heard a writer, or I read an article just this week. The writer observed, we have entered Advent, which is a joyous time of year. It can also be a terribly sad and painful time for people. Those who have recently experienced a loss, those who are so lonely, who don't have families or who are estranged from their families, those whose lives just didn't turn out the way they had hoped. Even the sentimental music at Christmas can be very hard. And have you ever noticed how many modern Christmas songs are about loneliness? How true is that? In Jesus Christ and Emmanuel, God has provided for our greatest need in our loneliness, in our pain, in our difficulty. God says to us in Jesus what he said to his people, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you all the way to the end. The new heavens and the new earth is all about the restoration of Eden, but better, where we will enjoy our Emmanuel in ways that we can't possibly fathom. Let me read to you from the Gospel of Matthew, and we will be done. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That, my friends, is our greatest hope. Pray with me. Our gracious God and Father, we do thank you and praise you. We are amazed at how this whole story culminates through the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that in the Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, you are with us. You're with us now. You'll be with us to the end of our lives. You'll be with us in the new heaven and the new earth, all because of Emmanuel. Father, as we anticipate his birth and his incarnation, help us to love him and to trust in him like we've never done before. In his matchless name we pray, amen.